Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we glorify you, Lord, for having the awesome time of praise and worship. Lord, for just continue to touch us and minister to us, Lord. And we praise you, Father, that we're wonderfully and fearfully made. I don't even know why you put that on my spirit, Lord. We are wonderfully and fearfully made. Let's all repeat that. I am wonderfully and fearfully made. Yes, it has nothing to do with tithes and offering. The Lord just said to say it. I am wonderfully and fearfully made. Say it one more time like you mean it. I am wonderfully and fearfully made. And let's do the next part. And that my soul knoweth right well. I know that. Shoot, I know that's right. That my soul knoweth right well. I am wonderfully and fearfully made. So bless the tithes, Lord. The Lord gave me something else. Bless the tithes. So anybody got to be a stickler, bless the tithes. Praise the Lord. Bless those that gave in Jesus' name. But thank God that we are wonderfully and fearfully made, and that my soul knoweth right well. Only God will interrupt tithes and offering prayer to say that. Amen. I am wonderfully and fearfully made, and that my soul knoweth right well. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So I don't know if somebody needed that, but that came on my spirit. So, hey. Got to interrupt a prayer for something else. It's all good. But somebody might have needed to hear that. I am wonderfully and fearfully made, and that my soul knoweth right well. And see, that's a phrase that's important. That my soul knoweth. First of all, do you know it? Do you know, do you know, do you know? Do you really know? Because, see, you could say it with lip service. But do you really mean it when you look in the mirror and you walk down the street and life circumstances hit you the wrong way and people talk about you and people do things? Do you know that you know that you know that you're wonderfully and fearfully made? That you being wonderfully and fearfully made goes beyond your biology and your DNA and who birthed you. So you could have been born on the wrong side of the tracks. You could have been orphaned. You could have gone through hard times like me. I shared this week that, you know, both of my parents died while I was in college. So they never saw me graduate, start a career, meet my lovely wife, have children, go into ministry. My parents missed all of that. But that doesn't change the fact that I am wonderfully and fearfully made. And see, it's one thing to say I'm wonderfully and fearfully made. And it's something to say, I really know this. It's not just something coming off my lips. But it's something that's deeply entrenched in my heart. Because, see, if it's not deeply and richly in your mind and heart, life circumstances will tell you you ain't nothing but a pile of junk. And that's why your soul has to know it right well. Because life is going to throw you all kinds of stuff that gets you off the beaten path, that knocks you off your feet. You get up out of the bed sometimes, you're just having a rough day, your head's splitting, or you just don't feel right. Circumstances going to happen that make you feel like I ain't all that splendid. But when you know that you know that you know that I'm wonderfully, fearfully made and my circumstances have no capability whatsoever to touch what he did in me, you could be inspired that today might be rotten, but something is on the horizon. Amen? Because I am wonderfully and fearfully made and that my soul knoweth right well and see when God talks about knowing you he talked about knowing the prophet Jeremiah he said before you were formed in your mother's womb 
Just think about that. It could have been, he could have been speaking to a fertilized egg. Before you were formed, just a fertilized egg. Maybe a mass of cells. No arms, no legs, no hair. No way of telling what ultrasound, whether it's a boy or girl. But God said, I knew you. I observed you. I interacted with you. I communicated you. And I started speaking into your life. See, God knows you're wonderfully and fearfully made because he was present in your design from the moment of conception. So God's opinion cannot be changed by your circumstances. Can you say the same? How much do you know that you know that you know that you're wonderfully and fearfully made? Amen? So that's, I don't even know why I'm here. But y'all need to get that into your head. If something's going on in your life right now that's got your shoulders drooped, oh, woe is me, and we all have those moments, you need to get to the place of really knowing yourself. You're so much more beyond what you see in the mirror. You are so much beyond the shoes you have on and the type of clothes you wear. Your life and what you consist of is so much more than a fashion statement or keeping up with the Joneses. You are wonderfully and fearfully made, crafted in the furnace of the Most High God, in the manufacturing plant, whatever you want to call it. Wonderfully and fearfully made. Hallelujah. And that your soul needs to know right well. That means you know it Intimately, deeply, richly, nobody can change the definition. It's just buried and embedded into your makeup that you are a precious commodity in the kingdom and in the sight of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. We are wonderfully and fearfully, fearfully made. All right. Today, Lord, lays place on my heart. I think the Lord has been kind of getting us on a cleanup cycle as we're going towards the end of the year. Because I, I talked about last week, reality check. And before that, we we're talking about how easily the sin besets you. And now we're talking about removing limitations on forgiveness. Amen? Removing limitations. Do you have limitations? We all know in our heads that we're supposed to forgive people that do things against us. But do you have a limitation? Now, you don't want one time too many saying something or doing something. So this time, uh uh-uh, I'm cutting you off. I ain't speaking to you no more. We ain't family. I don't like you. (laughs) Do you have limitations on your forgiveness? Or are you doing it and dealing with people based upon what the Word of God says? That's what we're going to examine today. So let's go to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 15 through 22. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, 
Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Then said Peter to him and said, I'm sorry, then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Hallelujah. (laughs) Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we give you the glory, honor, and praise for the opportunity to partake of your word. We know, Father, that your word is the breath of life. Holly is the bread of life as well, and it's health to all of our flesh. We ask you, Father, that through your word, you would do heart surgery, mind surgery, physical healing, deliverance, hallelujah, whatever that we need, Father, we praise and thank you that through your word and by your spirit, hallelujah, you would take root in our minds, Father. You would uh, give us the solid foundation that we need to endure all the things that we're dealing with. And you would give us the strength, the wisdom, the motivation, the insight to be able to walk as more than conquerors, Father, as you had ordained for our lives. We praise and thank you, Father, that if these situations today are currently affecting us and we haven't done it right, Father, show us through your word and by your spirit how we can resolve things in a fruitful, godly manner. And, Father, if somebody's done things in the past or if we've done things to others, Father, we thank and praise your Father, that as we would abide by your word, you would bless us beyond anything we can even imagine. And we praise and thank you, Father, for this, as well as for the healing, the deliverance, the, the, the anointing that you would give us, Father, as we not only give forgiveness, but help be servants to produce forgiveness in the lives of others, that you would bless us in every way. And we praise and thank you, Father, for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, so we see here a story about forgiveness and uh, offenses that are performed between brothers. And we see the the biblical pattern on how to uh, exhibit and to gain uh, uh, forgiveness when people have some kind of conflict with each other. And one of the things that we see at the end of the chapter is that Peter asked the question, as he's been prone to do, <laughs> he's always the one, Master, Master, I got something to say, but he asked the question, Lord, how often my brother sinned against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? And what you have to re- realize by uh, the rabbinical rules of forgiveness, forgiveness of someone did not have to be extended more than three times. So when Peter said, till seven times, I'm pretty sure he had in his mind that Jesus' reaction would have been, wow, that's great, Peter. You only have to do it three times? You're willing to do it seven? You're a mighty man of God. But we see here that instead of Jesus being astounded and amazed by him, instead, he said, no, I'm not impressed. Make it 70 times seven. 490 times. And the thing is, the principle of forgiveness was not just a permanent thing. Like, I forgive you three times over your lifetime, but this is the kind of mindset that you really should have had on a daily basis. Now, I can't imagine anybody that could get on my nerves, agitate me, frustrate me, anger or hurt me 490 times over the course of a day. I I can't imagine it. And I know some irritating people, but 490 times, at some point you would think you would start to lose count. (laughs) So what basically Jesus was doing here is giving them a number 
that really shows how much you need to stretch yourself or push yourself to have a heart of compassion, mercy, grace, and forgiveness for other people. 490, you almost think that has to be an impossible number to reach. Like I said, I can't imagine somebody doing something to me that many times over the course of one day that I had to keep doing it 490 times. Now, um, not only did the, the rules dictate that forgiveness did not have to be extended more than three times, but even if somebody made full restoration to you, let's say I stole your goat, and then, okay, I'm sorry, I finally repented, here's a goat, or hey, here's even two goats back. Even if I made full restoration to you, forgiveness could not be obtained unless the the wrongdoer requested a pardon from the person they offended or wrong, and the person said, I forgive you. So you can necessarily, I mean, you could go out and actually try to make the situation right, but yet if the person said, nope, I forgive you, you're stuck. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So that was the way it went. So like I said, in in Peter's case, he thought going beyond three was an act of being very liberal in terms of forgiving others. But Jesus basically said, it's not the quantity of times you forgive somebody. Instead, it's the quality in which you extend grace and forgiveness to other people. Now, I realize that there are various forms of abuse. And it's very hard that if somebody did some kind of verbal or physical abuse to you, you know, you're a child and you were abused by one or more of your parents or people that you came across um, in school or in sports or something like that, it's very hard to imagine that you would forgive somebody in those situations. Or if you're a wife that's been abused by a spouse, it's hard to imagine if somebody is physically abusing that you're going to sit there and just, I forgive you. You just went upside my head, but I forgive you. You know, there's a certain amount of craziness in terms of that. But what he's basically showing us in this passage of Scripture is that you can express forgiveness, but you don't necessarily have to be around that person every day so they can keep going upside your head. Amen? So it's the difference between how you feel in your heart and your spirit towards that person and then still subjecting yourself to the abuse. And one of the things that I've seen that really impressed me over the years is I, I read an article recently about a young man who was what, in what he thought was the ideal perfect family. Loving dad, his dad was his hero. And his mom was a wonderful mother. And one day they came home and they found the husband had been, you know, basically beaten in his head until he's beaten to the point of death. And when he went back and they started investigating the situation, they found out the mother put a hit on the dad and she ends up going to prison. So here's this young man being raised by his aunt, you know, going through years, upset that his hero is gone, angrier still that his mother is basically a murderer, even though she didn't inflict the blows on him, she paid the money to have it done. So he's dealing with this anguish, this bitterness, and this resentment. And then when he gets to the point where he gets married and he's about to have his first child, the Lord places on his heart that he needs to reach out to his mother with a card to say, you're about to be a grandmother. Now, he wrestled with this for a while, and finally he went ahead. He was obedient, and he sent this. And then as he's about to have his second kid, um, and his mom's on death row, he finds that she's getting closer and closer to the point of them basically, I think, injecting her to end her life. And he's sitting there just one day like, can this be the legacy that my, my children are going to have? 
your, your grandparents, one was murdered and the other one was exterminated, you know, lethally injected for what she did. So he actually prayed and the Lord put on his heart to go and fight for her to get pardoned. So they, they went through a bunch of appeals. They went through all these different cycles, letters, forms, petitions, and everything was declined. And then finally, right before she got to the point of them um, killing her, they finally got her a pardon where she went from death sentence to life in, in prison. Now this guy's praying. He gets to the point he finally visits her. Then they start writing letters back and forth. Then the next thing you know, this guy's now fighting to get his mother released from prison. End of the story, she's out. She's serving the community, helping people come out of prisons. They have a great relationship. And you got to ask yourself, how in the world can somebody get to the point that you can have that level of forgiveness? The only answer can be God, the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God. But it truly shows you that even in the most extreme cases, if we truly desire to obey the Word, allow the Spirit of God to work within us, in our minds, and our hearts, to alleviate the weight, to purge us of the anger, the bitterness, the resentment, the hostility, whatever it is that is buried within us, if we truly respond to God as He wants us to, to handle the extreme, we can definitely handle the little things that happen on a daily basis. Amen? And I find a lot of people hold grudges, animosity. You hear a certain name, your body language change, the, the, the eyebrows go down, you shift in fidgety in your chair, shoulders start to go, arms crossed when certain names raise, the hair comes up on the back of your neck. It just seems that there's certain people that when you hear that name or think of those peoples, these things come back and they affect you in terms of your body language or your demeanor. So that has to show us that there's something buried down deep in there that God still needs to get out of us. Amen? But are we, you know, open to it? Are we receptive to it? Or do we want to keep pretending that it doesn't exist? God truly wants us in a place in this day and age that he wants us pure. Amen? And the way for us to flow in the Holy Spirit and really have the anointing to change lives, we have to be different. We can't just say, I want to do church or I want to obey God when I want to obey God. We have to be willing that even when it seems that like we have to stretch ourselves and we have to face things in our lives that we don't necessarily want to look at, if we truly want to be the best that we can be in God, we have to be willing to say, there's certain people I don't like, there's different things that agitate me, but God... Reveal it to me so I can get it out of my system. Amen? Hallelujah. Because we should be beyond. I don't like how he disrespected me. She hurt my feelings. And letting that limit us from being the greatest that we can be in God. Amen? We got to grow beyond that. Amen? Hallelujah. How can we be fit to serve the kingdom if we can't get over petty everyday skirmishes? Hallelujah. Now, one of the things before we move on, I want to look at the purpose of, of forgiveness. We're going to look at Psalms 103, verses 8 through 14. Psalms 103, 8 through 14. And it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. 
As far as the east is from the west, so far have he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. All right, so this is the example. We're basically seeing here that the purpose of, the purpose of forgiveness is to demonstrate mercy despite what you have suffered. And it also puts you in a place to have compassion for the frailties of the one who wronged you. Amen? And though you may be angered or hurt by what has occurred, forgiveness includes having the mercy to avoid rendering them the judgment that they deserve, and it demonstrates the same manner of grace that God granted us despite our sins. Amen? So are we taking on the same pattern? Amen? And this doesn't mean that they can never wound you again, hurt your feelings. It just means that as each situation occurs, we're not rehashing the last hundred or thousand things they did. We're not dredging up the last five, ten years of how you did this and you do that. Every time somebody does something, you're not bringing back the past. Instead, you realize that person has the same frailties, quirks, bad habits, attitudes that we sometimes have, and you extend mercy with it to them and deal with that specific situation, resolve it, and then move on. You know, is that something that we're capable of doing? And like I said, I'm not justifying subjecting yourself to repeated abuse. I'm talking about the everyday stuff that we're dealing with. How are we handling the situation? We see here that the Lord is merciful, gracious, slow to anger. That's, the, that's something right there. Are you slow to anger? Or do you have a quick trigger? Every time somebody looks at you the wrong way, says something the wrong way, are you in the place where every time somebody does something wrong, you're ready to fire back? <laughs> I had a situation just on last night. I posted some, something. Um, somebody had basically posted this ad, I'm sorry, an uh, article about Chick-fil-A talking about, and they don't like blacks either. I'm like, what the what? I was like, I know this guy's a strong Christian guy, closes his business on Sunday. You know, I, I know the world doesn't like his anti-gay, as they say it, posture or stance. But I say, say he don't like black people. I'm like, what in the world is up to this? So I click the link. As soon as the page pops up in bright red letters, it says satire. I was like, but if you just saw the headline this person posted, you'd be like, oh, the guy that's the president of Chick-fil-A is a racist. So I just pointed out to the person, I was like, uh, hello, <laughs> this isn't true. And matter of fact, the site that was on says news that's almost <laughs> close to the truth. So it's basically an entire site that's devoted to making fun of people in situations. So anyway, just to let this person know, I, I, sent them, I put them a nice post that this isn't true, but the headline here is making it look like this is serious news. So the person's daughter posted back, well, mom, you don't have to, you can post anything you want, and people don't like it, they don't have to do this and that and that. And I'm just like, wow. <laughs> and see, here's the thing. This is where the ego and attitude can get in the way of whether you do right or wrong. My first attitude in my flesh, because I've been known to be a wise guy, I was like, I got about 3,000 things I could counterpost that shut you up. 
But I was like, I'm going to let God rule the situation. So I just posted, an, I put a following post that said, I apologize, I didn't mean anything wrong. I know your mother knows me well enough to know I didn't, I wasn't attacking her. But in the future, I won't post anything but birthday blessings on this page. <laughs> Somebody sent me a note I didn't even know. They're saying, wow, that was so godly how you responded to that situation. I would have, like, let them have it. So, but it just goes to show you, though, that petty little tiny things, if you let them push a button, step on your toes, you could be fighting all the time. Amen? And if you're fighting all the time or getting offended all the time, you could be always in a place where you either have to forgive somebody or somebody's got to forgive you. So God's no, God knows Brian Fox out of control. I would leave a wake. Man, it'd be like a ship. You ever see a ship going down a river or through the ocean and you see a wake going behind it? It'd be a wake of bodies and offended people if I let Brian Fox loose. I know what could be, I know, and the thing is, the Lord has done a work. I've matured, and I'm more tolerant and peaceful and patient over the years, but there's still that part that if you let, let him out, and I'm sure we all have that inner part, we could do a lot of damage. <laughs> so, fortunately, I handled the right way. I was slow to anger. I answered graci- graciously, and even though they may not have received it, somebody else is like, wow, that's really a blessing that you didn't return fire. So that's how the Lord wants us to be. That's one thing, slow to anger, and as I said, plenteous in mercy. And we see here that he have not dealt with us after our sins. How do we treat people when somebody does you wrong? Do you feel that you need to retaliate? Do you feel that you got to get payback? Do you feel that they say something about me, I'm going to say something to somebody else, or I'm going to talk to three people because they talk to one? Because a lot of people have that kind of wiring or that kind of need. And really, if you think about it, it's born out of our own pride. Amen? Just the fact that we need to retaliate when somebody wrongs us shows us that it's a part of us that still wants that ego to be stroking. How dare anybody talk to me that way? Or treat me this way. So as a result, i got to teach them a lesson and make sure they don't do it again. So we see here, contrary to that, God does not deal with people after their sins. Thank God for that. Good Lord knows I've done enough things, even after salvation. <laughs> you know, I think it was Fred Hammond. He's talking about, you know, it could have been in the deepest, darkest hell. One of his songs, The Blood of Jesus. We were listening to it today. There's this part he talks about being in, in hell, which thank God he ain't going there, and, and neither are we. But I've done enough even after salvation. Amen? In terms of attitude. You know, sometimes not getting up on the right side of bed. Sometimes arguing when I shouldn't. Running my mouth when I shouldn't. Each one of us. If God deals with us according to what we deserve, we'd be in a lot of trouble. So why would we think somebody's got to get dealt, as the world says, because they've wronged us. We should have the same mindset that God has. And then we also see not only did God not deal with us after our sins or reward us according to our iniquities, but it says as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions against him away from us. Wow, what grace. As far as the east is from the west. And I like to tell people I like science. You know, you just go out to the biggest, broadest place that you can see and look as far to the east and as far to the west as you can. 
Amen. And then I'd like to take a step further and say, no, it's not. That's not good enough for God's grace. You know, look at how big the earth is as far as the east is and from the west. I think the earth is like 19,000 miles of diameter. And that's not still that's still not enough. Then I think about God's grace really goes beyond that. And we could say out of the billions and billions of constellations and galaxies and things like that, God has removed our sins as far as from the east part of the universe as far as the west part of the universe. Amen. That's how God has exhibited his grace to you and I. And if God has removed our transgressions that much and we're supposed to be walking according to his pattern and his mentality, why do we keep reminding people stuff they did? He goes and takes our mess as far as the east is from the west. We can't get past something somebody did to us five years ago. <laughs> well, I didn't like how you said that. Wow. What if God said that to us? Lord, I sincerely repent for that sin. I don't believe that. You did that five years ago. How will we feel about God and our relationship with him if he treated us the same way that we treat people. Amen? God never brings back to our remembrance our sins. Matter of fact, the only time God even brings back my shame and my hurt or the things I've done is when he brings it back as a testimony of how I can tell people that the power of God and the love of Jesus can transform your life. That's the only time God allows my sins and transgressions to come back in my life. Amen? It never comes back to belittle me, to get me told, to box me into a corner where I got to justify myself. God never treats me that way. So why is it, like I said, that we do those very things to people in our lives who have wronged us in the past? So we don't necessarily have to, uh, like I said, be around people that are abusive, but we need to have a mindset that we truly allow our, our hearts to be purged from the things that people have done to us in the past. Now I want to look at another thing regarding forgiveness. From the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 13 through 19. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, which have made both one and have broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God and one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. There's a couple key words that we see in this passage of Scripture. First of all, we see that in Jesus, we were far off away from God. Amen? Foreigners. Transgressors. People deserving of eternal judgment and damnation. And thank God, through the blood of Jesus and through his sacrifice, those of us who were far are now made nigh or near to Jesus Christ. It says here that not only has he broken down the middle wall of partition that separated Jews and Gentiles and saints from sinners, amen? It says that 
he has broken down that middle wall. There's no separation anymore. And he has come in. He has abolished through his flesh the enmity. Amen? Abolished it. That word abolish in the Greek means to render entirely idle or useless. To render entirely, entirely idle or useless. To destroy, make void, or make of no effect. So the enmity that was between us and God has now been destroyed, rendered idle, and totally useless, void, by the blood of Jesus. And it says here, not only is he abolished in his flesh the enmity, but it also talks about, well, the, the enmity itself means hostility or reason for opposition. Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice, destroyed all those things. So if God... And Jesus, through his sacrifice, has abolished enmity between people. Why are we allowing ourselves to live with it on a daily basis? Amen? He's brought us near to him. We're supposed to be going through a process where our hearts and our minds are being patterned after the likeness of Jesus Christ. So why would we go from people who were under the enmity that was uh, associated with the world system and separated from God, why would we get redeemed to Jesus Christ only to allow enmity not to God but with people to be in our life amen you're basically putting in a barrier that God has already destroyed and you're allowing something to get rooted in your heart and your mind that the whole purpose of him going to the cross was to abolish that so you could live free of it amen because enmity does not just affect the person that you're targeting with your anger hostility and resentment it also targets you amen because medical science will show you that people that are, are dealing with bitterness and anger, they're more prone to uh, migraines, arthritis, strokes, heart attacks. I mean, you can just go top to bottom. A lot of these the diseases that people are having right now. You look on the, the, the television, every break between the TV show is almost prescriptions now. Why? <laughs> it's not so much that everybody needs a drug. A lot of people need church. Get the word of God in them and learn how to deal with stuff without chemically suppressing the stuff that they're fighting with. And the thing is, a lot of times the very drugs that they're giving you, if you listen to the, the, the quick talk at the end, that stuff is crazy. You're taking an antidepressant if you suffer thoughts of suicide and a homicidal tendency. I thought it was an antidepressant, antipsychotic. It's making you psychotic. Matter of fact, it's making some of you homicidal. So you won't kill yourself, but you go kill 20 other people. And the drug is supposed to be helping you. I'm like, I don't, is that what the drug's going to do? Please, I'll be drug free. Because <laughs> that stuff will kill you. And sometimes they'll actually take certain drugs that were originally for one thing, find out that somebody died, like one in a thousand or one in a hundred thousand died. They'll repackage it, give it another name, and they'll use it for something else. And I can't even remember what the drug was. They actually didn't rename the drug. It originally came out as an antidepressant. Now I think it's for restless leg syndrome. Same exact drug. They just changed the TV commercial, basically. I'm like, wow. But pills are supposed to fix you. <laughs> but the thing is, a lot of times, this enmity... And the different things that we're dealing with, the things that we're suppressing, the things that we're holding in, amen, 
All that stuff could be alleviated if we would just walk in the same level of love and forgiveness that Jesus Christ exhibited and we see through the word of God. And one of the things like I've seen over the, over the years is that a lot of times people say, I just want an apology. No, you won't. No, you don't. You want revenge or you want them to, to do some kind of penance. You know, <laughs> we're spirit-filled, non-denominational people, but we're Catholics at heart. Because he can't just apologize. He got to do this, this, this. That's, that's penance, isn't it? Say 10 Hail Marys. Put, I mean, if you think about it, we say we're not, but you, we act like we are. Because unless you, unless you apologize the way I want you to do it, I refuse to accept it. So in other words, they got to pay you back. And, you know, if you were to go to God and he had the same attitude, it wouldn't be good enough for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You'd have to accept the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice plus do this, 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 and this. And Jesus doesn't do that. Because what we see in the word of God is that God doesn't seek apologies, especially repeated ones. He seeks to destroy hostility and to produce reconciliation and oneness in every situation. And the great thing about God, not only does he seek reconciliation and oneness, as we saw in this, he came and preached to you. God will pursue you to make reconciliation occur. How many of us had that similar mindset? If there's art between you and a brother, we just sit there and just wait. But he's going to call me. I ain't going to speak to him. Shoot. I will never look him in the eye again until he get on the phone and apologize for what he did. Why are you defining reconciliation? Why can't you pick up the phone? The phone works both ways. And especially if that person is either unsaved or younger than the Lord, why can't we be the bigger one, the older one, the more mature one, and make the first gesture? Amen? You know, I, I, there's, there's a lot of stuff I don't necessarily do right. But one thing I am exceptional at is I have no shame whatsoever about apologizing. Even when I think I'm not wrong. Well, you look, you, when such, such day you said this. Oh, I apologize. I don't have no pride whatsoever. I will apologize in a minute. Now, it's up to them whether they accept it and remind me of it another ten times. But if somebody says I've wronged them, I will apologize like that. Because at the end of the day, it's just not worth the grief and if the person is going to be healed and ministered to and it will destroy the breach and the enmity just by giving the, the apology, why not give the apology? Once again, it goes back to pride. I ain't got to apologize. Pride. <laughs> Selfishness. And the reason I can say selfishness is that the ones that want the apologies the most, a lot of times are the ones that don't want to give them. They'll fight the most to give them. So, wow, why is it? When you're the wrong party, they got to apologize to me. But when you're the offender, you're ducking and dodging. If you're hungry for apology, you need to be hungry to give an apology when you've wronged somebody else. Because none of us are perfect. And a lot of times in every situation, there's two sides to it. You know, sometimes we say, oh, well, this person did that and they owe me an apology. And if you were really to calmly and rationally talk about the whole situation, we'll find out that we weren't as perfect in it as we thought we were. Yeah, I did say it wrong, but you forgot that you did this and said that. Oh, we're not as pure as we thought we were. <laughs> but that's the thing. 
The enemy will try to put self in a situation. None of us wants to be wrong. None of us wants to apologize necessarily. And as long as we worry about self as opposed to letting myself die and let Jesus come out through me, that's why these breaches can not only occur, but grow. Amen? So that it's percolating and, and, and growing bigger and bigger and festering inside of individuals. It's when we refuse to reconcile. Amen? That these things can occur. So one of the things, um, the, the godly purpose, just me, let me read this. The godly purpose of discussing offenses, I'm, not, I'm not, definitely not trying to say that you should never talk to people when you're offended. Matter of fact, biblically, we saw in our text scripture you do. You should. However, the godly purposes of discussing offenses is threefold. Or at least I got three. You might think of more. So you think of more, that's fine. <laughs> well, he said there's only three. I found ten. Okay, well, your ten are good. <laughs> I'm right. I'm doing ten, to th- three today. <laughs> the godly purpose of discussing offenses that the Lord gave me for today are three. Demonstrating the love of Christ to help both parties in a conflict draw closer to him. Do we even think about that part of it? by us reconciling with a brother and sister in Christ or an unbeliever that may not know Christ, do we think that it's not about they did me wrong. I'm looking for an opportunity to draw closer to God and and either strengthen them in God or point them to God. Do we even get that consideration? I don't think that even comes on the radar half the time, that by me reconciling a conflict, we're pointing to God. Most of us are going in, they're going to apologize to me. They did, me, they did me wrong. Once again, where is God in it? So the first one, demonstrating the love of Christ to help both parties in the conflict draw closer to God. Number two, removing any wounds and alleviating any burdens the two of you cause each other. That's another thing. So if you're going in to discuss a conflict, is it all one-sided? They hurt me. They wounded me. Or do you look at it as that there's something in them that they have to gain from this as well? And even if I have to apologize, it's all good because we are both having burdens and wounds pure, pulled off of us or purged out of us. Are we looking at it as this is a mutually beneficial discussion? That, Like I said, wounds are purged or cured. And burdens are alleviated. <clears throat> and then number three, ensuring that there is no schism within the body Christ or within your other relationships. So ensuring that there is no schism. God doesn't want us to have schisms or breaches in our relationships with people. He doesn't want us to say, I need to avoid that person or um, I hate being around that person. You should be at a place, if you're growing a God, that even if people aren't necessarily your cup of tea, that you could still be around them and you could tolerate them or you could be comfortable and you can interact and you might not become best friends and hang out every night, but you should be in a place that you can still interact with them and they don't feel any bad vibes, as the world would say. Amen? So... You want to ensure that there's no schism. And like I said, this is not just within the body of Christ. Well, as a fellow believer, 
and I've offended them. I'll apologize because we are, you know, joint heirs of Jesus. Well, no, they're out there in the world. You need to actually even more so apologize because by you offending them, you might push them further away from Christ because the first thing comes in an unbeliever's mind. Oh, I thought he was a Christian. That's the first thing that comes out of their, mo- their mouth. And you might have been trying to minister to them for five years and they refuse to hear it, inviting them to church, praying for them, whatever. They totally blow off the Christianity part. Soon as you do one thing that offends them, I thought he or she was a Christian. That's the first thing on the radar. So we need to extend ourselves even further at times and humble ourselves even further to reconcile with them so there's no breach whatsoever within our relationship. Because because, um, allowing that breach means that when they're in a time of need, instead of them being able to come to you for comfort, for prayer, for pointing them to God, your person now has been crossed off of their list. And I don't think any of us should be comfortable with standing before God and say, send me to the world except for him or her. (laughs) The word tells us to go into all the world to preach the gospel, not just to the people that we can tolerate or get along with. Go into all the world. (laughs) Jonah had that problem, amen? He got swallowed by a great fish or a whale, depending on your translation. But the Lord got his attention. He finally had to go to the preach to the very people he didn't like. I think we should avoid being thrown into a similar well, amen, and be willing to minister to whoever. And the thing that comes to mind with me is that before I got saved, I was very comfortable around people. I always really have been comfortable around people. When I was during my, my first college days down in North Carolina, there's a guy that was suspected to be in the Ku Klux Klan or his parents were, and everybody avoided him like the plague, even the white people. Nobody wanted to be around the guy. And I didn't even know it was true. It was just like the, the rumor got out, and next you know, this guy's by himself all the time. So it's one day I come in the cafeteria, and it's really, really crowded, and I see him sitting at a table by himself, and I'm like, shoot, there's open seats. <laughs> so I walked over there and said, hey, you might have a seat. He didn't respond. I plopped my behind right down. I started eating, and because of my personality, I tried to engage him in a conversation, which I knew he didn't want to have, and he ignored me. <laughs> and a few more times I saw him, I sat down, and after a while he started responding, and we got to the point where we started conversing. And he did tell me at one point, you know, I, I've never pro- I'll probably never like you people, but everything I heard about you is not necessarily true. I was like, yeah, that's, that's progress. Before, I was just, you know, scum of the earth to be exterminated. Now, at least, <laughs> you don't hate me, may not never like me, and you might still believe some of the stereotypes, but there's a little bit of progress. But my point is, if I could do that as an unbeliever with somebody whose family is associated with the KKK, I can't do that as a believer in in Christ, armed with the word of God and the Holy Spirit. I can't speak to somebody that's not my cup of tea or is not wired like me or doesn't have my belief systems or may even have stereotypes about me, whether it's as an African-American or a Christian. That's not an excuse not to be available to minister to that person in time of need. Hallelujah. Now, in our text scripture... One of the things that really caught my attention is that it talks about if your brother trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Notice that, thee and him alone. Now, it does have a process you go through that if this doesn't work. 
But basically, it's telling us initially, you don't have to go advertise to the whole world that somebody wrongs you. And I think a lot of times that's the first thing that people do. We don't only take the opportunity to go to that person, whether it's through shyness or fear or not knowing how they're going to react. A lot of times instead of going to the source of the offense and saying, hey, you did this and it bothered me. A lot of times we'll go to 20 other people discussing the situation and that person's sitting there and may not even know they did something wrong. So whether or not we feel intimidated to address the situation or, or not, it's better for us to try to find a way, write a note, shoot an email, leave them a voicemail, maybe get another person to come along and say, hey, I'm really, or, or, or tell the person, like, look, I need to talk to you about something. Can you prepare yourself first? Because you may not like it, but I, I really need to talk to you about something, and I want us to be calm, cool, and collected. But you need to try to address the issue, issue with them first before you tell the entire planet, and it's on CNN that night. Amen? Because if they hear it through CNN and the grapevine first, by the time you try to come to them, now they're all fired up, agitated. Oh, you've been talking about me. So you already put yourself in a situation where they're not ready to receive what you had to share. So God does not want us advertising how somebody has wronged us. And we're going to look at something on Proverbs 28, I'm sorry, 25. Proverbs 25, 8 through 11 Go not forth hastily to strive, lest thou know not what to do in the end thereof, when thy neighbor hath put thee to shame. Debate thy cause with thy neighbor himself, and discover not a secret to another, lest he that heareth it put thee to shame, and thine infamy turn not away. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. Hallelujah. Now, it tells us not to go forth hastily. That word hastily, of course, means don't rush out striving to spread the news of how you've been wrong. <laughs> and instead, you should take a deep breath, calm down, and say, how can I tackle this issue and resolve it in the most peaceful manner possible? And in the underlying Hebrew, that word strive, and actually the word debate, they both come from the same Hebrew words. And strive and debate mean to grapple, to hold a controversy, and to defend against an adversary. Just look at that word right there, to defend against an adversary. How can you, you know, really think about resolving a situation when you're going in with the mindset from day one, that's my adversary, that's my opponent, my foe. I've been victimized, and he is evil incarnate. <laughs> it's very hard to reconcile a situation when you're going in with that kind of mindset. As we see here, God is warning us, don't rush out and do anything. Calm it down. As they say, take a deep breath, count to ten. Some of you might have to count to a thousand. <laughs> I know professionally, uh, this is a, it's a big thing. I already have the issue on a professional level that I write very formally. I don't do ebonics. I don't do abbreviations. I don't do shortcuts. Even when I text you, you get full text. Because I'm not going to down. I just think it's too much dumbing down of the English language. And I even saw something with Dr. Carl Ball, you know, where he talked about how the, our language has actually devolved. If you look at the times of Shakespeare, we say, oh, this guy wrote beautiful prose. That was the common language. 
That would be like us writing a paper and using our current language. But people don't speak that way. And because of the technology and the shortcuts, we're going further and further and down. I'm getting resumes with cover letters, emails, Skypes for people putting LOL. And um, what was the one I got the other day? like SSIA or I mean they're sending me stuff and sometimes I gotta look it up and I'm pretty savvy but sometimes this guy at my job he's he's cool but sometimes he'd be putting we have like we have a ticketing system where I have developers working for me that are in another time zone sometimes sometimes I write up instructions and sometimes he'll write it up and sometimes he'll put this abbreviation I'm like I'm over here in America and I gotta look that one up so (laughs) the, the language is continually devolving Amen. Oh. So well, anyway, like we're seeing here that God does not want us rushing out and impulsively doing stuff. And like I'm saying about work, because of the way I write and I write formally, sometimes people read my emails and they think there's a tone on them because I wrote it. And I'm not I don't have a tone. I don't have an attitude. I'd be having the greatest day of my life. And I write formally and they're like, oh. And I found out later they were offended. I was like, what's going on? What do you mean? They're like, you remember that email you wrote? I was like, yeah. They said, well, it was just harsh. I was like, it was harsh? And I'll go back and read it. And they're like, when you wrote this, I was like, you asked me a question about this. So I wrote you back a paragraph with details responding to the points. Oh, well, it just sounded harsh. I said, no, you asked me a question. I said, instead of me getting you this quick answer, I gave you details oh well, it just seemed kind of harsh and intense i was like no <laughs> so i've learned that if people receive what i write when i'm not even agitated when i am agitated i gotta really be careful and sometimes i gotta pray and go through the cycle and edit it three four five times I'm like okay i don't see anything here that looks like an attitude now i can send it i gotta watch myself and in terms of everybody's communication, they need to do the same thing. And that's why it's so important not to just rush out and respond. With me, I can respond with an email or I am or, or something like that, an instant message, and offend somebody, and it wasn't even my intent. So talking to somebody in person, how much more so do we need to watch how we communicate and whether or not we wait or not? I had a situation talking to somebody last Tuesday in a meeting, and he actually said, I got a problem with anger. He said, oh, yeah, I got some anger issues. And he said, you know, I grew up in Canada. He said, I was out in the streets. I was around a lot of crazy and violent stuff. And he said, I'm just wired. And he's kind of, he reminds me of, of Kevin some that he's an evangelistic spirit. He's like, hardcore, we got to do this. We got to hit the streets. Got to go to drug dealers and the prostitutes. We got to turn the city around. And, 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 and then we were talking about building a team to minister. And he's like, yeah, everybody on this team, they got to be willing to go door to door and go out in the streets. And they can't be scared. They got to be able to go anywhere. To minister the gospel, like, dude, everybody's not going to be wired like that. And so we might have some people that are prayer warriors. And I said, they can't hit the streets, but they can sit back and pray. And the power of prayer is important. Well, I just feel strongly that everybody got to be able to do this. And me and this other guy look at him like, bring it down, brother. Yeah, but see, he's like that when he's happy. So he's like, when I'm mad, he said, I used to have to go back and apologize 
all the time. He's like, I'm like this all the time. When I'm happy, when I'm excited, when I'm motivated, he said, I'm just, I said, yeah, we can see. <laughs> we probably had like a three-hour meeting, and I think me and the other guy got in a half hour talking when he came up for air, and literally. And I could talk. And this guy, me and this other guy were just like, <laughs> he's just going. So he said, you know, the Lord's working on me. I got anger issues. And he said, I'm quick to apologize. And he said, I'll, I'll say something the wrong way and I'll apologize. But he said, I'm going. He said, I'm finally getting to place. And he said, y'all can pray for me because it's still a work. It's still a work. He said, but I'm getting to the place where the Lord is finally maturing me that instead of me having to apologize so, so often, now I'm starting to learn to wait so I have to give less apologies. So I was like, yeah, that's progress, brother. So he knows himself. Amen? And that's the same with us. we got to know ourselves. When somebody does something, are we hasty to jump into the situation? And if we're hasty to discuss it with somebody else or that person, are we coming to them with the right attitude? Because if you don't have the attitude of Christ, you need to hold it. You keep your mouth shut. You need to let things settle down. And like I said, that doesn't mean that you'll never communicate to the person what they did and what they said that hurt you or angered you. But the reality is, if you're not at a place where you can give yourself time to calm down and rationally think about a godly way to resolve the current situation, you're probably going to multiply one issue that was a skirmish and turn it into a war. Amen? And the thing is, you got to recall, too, is that you might have beef with one person. If you go to them the wrong way, then their circle of friends, your circle of friends. And now what was a one-on-one -on -one situation that could have been resolved in an amicable fashion, now you got opposing factions that can't stand each other. So we have to ask yourself, consider the costs. You know, what are the stakes here? And what can occur if I rush out and do something the wrong way? And I think a lot of times when we rush, we're really trying to get them told, as they say. You know, and you often will speak too aggressively. You'll speak out of control. A lot of times people will say something. Later they try to come back and say, I didn't mean what I said. Yes, you did. You are incapable of having something come out of your lips that did not process in your brain or come out of your heart. Impossible. Your mouth will not work your vocal cords will not function unless that stuff went through your brain cells and then triggered the internal mechanisms of your body to speak it out. So you can say, I didn't mean what I said. Yes, you did. You just may not have said it if you weren't so PO'd. <laughs> or you might not have said it as harshly as you did because now you're all elevated. So, yes, we do mean what we say. But if we take the time to pray and wait and take a deep breath, you could express stuff that will still address the situation, but you won't say it in a way that you actually make things worse. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I think most of us have been there. Like, man, oh, I can't believe I said that. Man, I was really, I was just trying to deal with just that. And man, we actually dealt with that. But now the person's like, well, wait a minute, now we need to deal with that. I didn't know that was buried down there. Where'd that come from? And you're sitting there like, wow, I didn't even want, to, I didn't even want them to know I felt that. <laughs> so sometimes we, we have haste, we make waste. <laughs> Amen. Your haste will make waste, a waste of relationships. So like I said, we do not need to speak too aggressively, out of control, 
we need to avoid um, talking behind somebody's back. And there's a couple points that the Lord gave me regarding approaching somebody that offended you as it relates to this subtopic. One is, did you go directly to the person or did you go to everybody who would hear about how you've been wrong first? Because there's always a bunch of ears that want to hear some mess. Always. Always. If you want an audience for some mess, you will find one easier. You don't have to rent an auditorium. You don't have to rent any airtime on TV. If you got some junk to spread, especially gossiping, bad news, people will flock to you. And you can grab a mic and you can preach the gospel of chaos and bad speaking as much as you want. You will always find an audience. And like I said, do you realize that by discussing it with somebody other than the person will probably cause the offense to eventually get back to that person, and by the time it reaches their ears, it will probably grow progressively worse since a lot of times people either want to put a little color on it, flavor on it, or they confuse what you said, they forget another point you made, and they end up re- exaggerating what they've heard when they retell it. And, and here's the thing. Pam told me something the other night, and it's not based upon a conflict. This is just something that she was praying about at first. So um, she gets a text, I think it was Thursday night, about somebody was sick. So what happened is uh, one of her childhood friend's father... Um, I guess he's not comfortable with, with the doctors that are there in the local city. So he actually has to drive over an hour, hour, maybe hour, probably an hour and a half to, to, to another city to, to go to his doctors. So when he comes out of the doctor's office, this place is at a big facility with this huge parking lot. And when he comes out, he's like, oh, Lord, I'm lost. I can't find my car, right? <laughs> so he calls his daughter up and says, I'm lost. I can't find my car. By the time the news gets to... Pam and her dad, this man has had a stroke, passed out, and he's in a coma. How you going to go from I can't find my car to you had a stroke, passed out, and you're in a coma? How do all that happen? How? <laughs> but that just shows you how people will take something and just twist it. I can't even see how that got from one to the other. I just can't even relate. But... I guess it started out with he's not, he didn't just lose his car. He passed out in the, in the parking lot. Oh, how he passed out. Oh, I heard he had a stroke. <laughs> oh, yeah, that stroke got worse. He's in a coma now. <laughs> but that just shows you, though, if a simple situation like that grew to such an extreme, what happens when you spread this person says something I ain't like? You know, imagine how much that will grow by the time it travels. And then here you go. I'm finally ready. I've calmed down. I'm ready to talk to so-and-so. But they've already heard not the initial version of what you said to somebody. They've heard the thing that has now grown into this mountain and this monster of a conflict. So when you finally get to the place where you're comfortable to speak to them, this person's like, yeah, oh, I'm ready to speak, all right. I'm ready. <laughs> and they're ready to deal with you 
Well, you might have, you might have from day one been ready to give them a piece of your mind. Now calm down. You're trying to be rational. Now that person is like ready to the, 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 the shoot the nuclear warheads at you. Amen? So we have to be very careful. Like I said, that was just like a simple example. But imagine if conflict is involved, and especially if the devil wants to get attached to something and sees that this is a godly relationship and God himself says, I have purpose and plans for that relationship and what I want to come out of it. How much more so does the enemy want to get in there and cause some mess? Amen? And don't think you're exempt and it can't happen. Judas was loyal originally. He was loyal. Come on, let's face it. You don't follow somebody for a few years if you don't have some kind of loyalty. And yes, we could say, well, he was money-grubbing and greedy, and he really was just trying to get to the palace. And, you know, he saw Jesus as taking over and kicking the Roman oppressors, oppressors out. He would be on the throne. I would be one of his governors. Yes, we could say that. But he still went through the, some of the stuff they went through. Amen. But Satan was watching and looking for that time where he could get a hold of that heart and make him finally sell out Jesus. So don't think that people in your life don't have the capability to sell you out when the time is right. Y'all remember that series I did, The Children of Belial? They will lie dormant and wait for the chance to pounce on you. And some of them may wait years for the opportunity to undermine you or stab you in your back. Amen? But we need to be wary of them, but also be careful that we are not the ones that are doing the same. Amen? Hallelujah. Then the second thing I'm going to look at, too, about not advertising is when you approach the person, do you pray enough beforehand that you can express your feelings without antagonizing, offending, belittling, or wounding the person who offended you? What are you trying to get out of the situation? How are you approaching them? If you're coming to somebody with hostility, you come to somebody in a nice manner, there's going to be some people that just don't like you expressing that you did anything wrong. You're going to find some people like that. But most people, if you come to them the right way, I guess most, I would think that most people are pretty reasonable. And they'll say, oh, I didn't really didn't mean that, and here's what I really meant, or something like that. But when you come to somebody like all hardcore and agitated, they can feel that energy. You know the kind of energy I'm talking about. You automatically put that person in self-defense mode. They're ready to defend. See, they're not even ready to even hear you. They're automatically going into block and counterattack mode. Amen? As opposed to, all right, I might not like this, but express yourself. Amen? So how do you approach that person? Proverbs 25, 28 shows us something that we all have to be watchful over. He, ha- he that hath no rule over his own spirit It's like a city that is broken down and without walls. (laughs) He that have no rule, no governance, no authority, but no governance or authority over what? Over your own spirit. You can't rule yourself. You're out of control, in other words. And here it says that if you don't have any rule over your own spirit, you're like a city that is broken down. Devastated city, broken down buildings. Maybe people starving for food and no walls. I like to watch, you know, old medieval movies. You know, I, used to, you know, I like Braveheart, you know, Excalibur, you know, where you got warriors out there with sword and shield. And a lot of times you'll see the enemy coming in and 
The good guys are usually, you know, behind a palace with walls and maybe a moat, and they fortify themselves. But one of the first ways the enemy tries to get in is to put a hole in that wall. Because as soon as they can get a hole in that wall, they have a surge of troops to come in there. And once they get inside, you don't know how the result of the battle is going to end. Amen? Just a breach in that wall could be so devastating that you literally could lose the war, especially if you're surrounded by more enemies than you have allies on your side. So it's very important that you fortify yourself on every side so the enemy cannot get in. Now, we're looking at this, and it's talking about how we are wired from a spiritual perspective. It says if you don't have self-control, and you can't control yourself, and, and somebody does something, you can't still keep your Christian character or your composure. It's basically saying you're no different than one of those cities back in medieval times that had its walls breached. And the thing is, once the walls are breached, two things can happen. Number one, you have no protection from attacks coming in from the outside. Number two, you can't sustain what's inside of you and stuff can come out. Amen? Or be lost. You know? So if you don't have yourself fortified, and as we know, that needs to be through the Word of God and through the Holy Spirit, there's no telling what can happen. And that's why it's important for us, as we're about to approach somebody that, in terms of seeking forgiveness and reconciliation, we can't be all out of control. Because if you go into that situation, as I said, there's going to be some stuff inside of you that needs to stay inside the walls <laughs> of God's protection. And some of that stuff that God does not want to leak out in the world that he's still working on you. You got anger issues. You got emotional problems, whatever it is. If you allow the enemy to find a hole in your wall or a chink in your armor, when you go to confront that person, you're not in the right spirit. All that stuff inside of you, like I said, is going to come out. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speak. And when that mouth speak, what does the book of James says? It's unruly. Amen? It's full of deadly poison. It even talks about that. It says that men can guide ships, but they can't control that little tongue. <laughs> and what else does it say? It says that tongue is unruly and it's set on course of hell, by hell. You can have hellfire coming out of your mouth out of control. Amen. You can say stuff out of your mouth that can change the whole dynamic of your relationship forever. If there's even a relationship after that. Amen. And I've seen that. I've seen situations where somebody says something in an argument and they're like, that person cut me off. I've tried a hundred times to apologize. They won't respond. One conversation. And the person's sitting there regretting. I, I don't mind. I, I'll apologize in a second. They won't let me. But what if we took more time? <sighs> I can't say nothing right now. You know what? I got to get off the phone. I'll talk to you later. I'm just not in the place. Uh, you know, we're going to continue this, but I, I, I can't talk anymore. Please. I got to get off the phone. And if need be, click. Sometimes you got to be aggressive with that. I can't, I can't talk to you right now. I will talk to you, <laughs> but not now. Because if I talk now, some stuff's going to come out that we may never talk again. Amen? And so the thing is, you may have in your heart of hearts a desire that I will reconcile, that I will do the things of God. But who's the person on the other side that's offended? You don't know how they're going to handle it. Amen? 
So we, should need, we need to avoid putting ourselves in situations where we can't keep our anger and our emotions in, in check. And we need to have the expectation that if we can govern ourselves, then we can go in a situation so that even if they respond or retaliate as we try to reconcile something, we can at least keep our composure. Amen? And later on, you know, you may come out of a situation that might prick their heart later. Wow. I was yelling and screaming at them, and they just stayed cool. Man, now I feel bad. Now I'm the one who has to go to reconcile with them. But the problem is when you get two people that can't contain themselves and they're just bumping heads and going at it, and next thing you know, you just make a smaller matter worse. Amen? So we need to be able to rule our own spirits so we can approach somebody in a godly fashion. Never had the mindset that I'm going to put you in a corner. I'm going to force an apology from you. And the thing is, if you force an apology from somebody, is it genuine? They're not really feeling it. They're feeling agitated, and you are forcing them to produce words out of their mouth that they really don't feel. So it's better for you to allow them that. And here's the thing. Would you want to be the one cornered and place it to that situation where somebody's trying to force something out of you that you don't want to say. None of us likes it, so none of us needs to do that in the lives of anybody, the lives of anybody else. Hallelujah. Now, finally, with that too, is when you ha- are a person that has no rule over your own spirit. Not only is it the physical stuff that you could be subjecting yourself to, but the enemy and his his spiritual influences. Amen. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's throwing all kinds of imagination and thoughts at you to try to undermine you and try to wreck your witness and your Christian character. If you don't have rule of yourself through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, there's no telling what the enemy could do and what he could place in your mind to make you basically ruin your reputation or a lot of relationships. So that's why we need to be careful and not open ourselves up to spiritual attacks in addition to the emotional stuff that we're dealing with. Colossians 4, 5, and 6 says, Walk in wisdom towards them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. So we see here, that's how God wants us to handle situations. Not running your mouth, not blowing up, I just lost it. Not turning from Dr. Jekyll to Mr. Hyde, amen, but having self-control and, as we see here, walking in wisdom. It says here that your speech should always be with grace. Is your grace speechful? Are you in the place where you could talk in a graceful, peaceful manner? If not, you don't need to be talking, amen? Or, yeah, you need to be talking, but you need to be talking to God, not to people, until you get to the place where you have grace in your mouth. It says here, your speech should always have grace and be seasoned with salt. That phrase, seasoned with salt, is basically talking about, it's a reference to food. Nobody wants to eat bland food. (laughs) That's actually one of the problems my my dad had growing up. My mom was a down-home country cook, excellent cook. And before he he would put the fork to his mouth, there goes that salt shake. Like, dang. And I would just grab the fork. It's well seasoned. <laughs> and to put a bunch of salt on something that's already seasoned makes it distasteful. Amen? 
And if it's bland, you do want to season. So God's telling us our words should be seasoned with salt. But the salt is to make people hunger and thirst for the God we serve. They shouldn't be thirsting for payback because we said the wrong thing. So what are we ministering? What are we putting out? What speech is coming out of my mouth? Amen? And what is the effect that it's having on the life of that other person? Does it point them to Jesus and make them say, wow, yeah, you know, I did really dog you out. I can't believe, like, you're so easygoing. You know, I thought you were coming here. I was avoiding you, and I thought you were going to go off on me, and you're just saying, like, hey, I'm aware of what you did, and you know, hurt my feelings, and why do you do that? Why do you feel the need to do that? And you talk to them calmly, and you walk out of that situation, they're just like, wow. Everybody else, man, I know I'm a mess. And everybody else, somebody might have beat me up, and this person just showed me love, and now I feel bad. And that conviction now points them back to God. So that is seasoning your word with salt. And we see here, so that you know how to answer every man. It's not just answering every man about your Christian walk with God and your beliefs. Amen? You need to know how to answer every man in every situation. Good times, bad times. People getting on your nerves. People talking about you. That's all a part of your words being seasoned with salt and knowing how to answer every man. So what is governing your spirit? What is governing your thoughts? And what is in control of the words that are coming out of your mouth? Is it the grace and compassion of God who, even though you transgressed against him, you shook your fist at him for years before you accepted Jesus Christ? And some of us, in our actions, even after salvation, we've done stuff that is contrary to the heart of God and grieves him in his spirit. Don't say you can't grieve God. The book of Ephesians talks about us grieving the Holy Spirit. We have done things since salvation that has hurt Daddy God's feelings. You hurt his feelings. Every one of y'all. Me too. But what does God do when we come to him? Does he get us told about, you did this? You promised me you'd never do that again. You did it. What does God do? Come here, baby. Don't do it anymore. But come here. And he might chide us, he might discipline us, he might put us on time out. But never does he belittle us, never does he get us told, and he knows how he can get us told. Lord Jesus, I got stuff I did, said, and thought that I want, want anybody on this planet, including Pam, to know. Closest person in my life. Each one of us got dirt in our heads, in our hearts, skeletons in our closet that we wouldn't want anybody to know. And God knows it all, and we come to him, he could be like, we bring this all out. I'm bringing out the scroll this time. I done had enough of you. And get us told. But he never does that. All he does is shows, show us love, but yet somebody could do the smallest things to us, and we want to rip, rip him a new one, as the world says. That's why God says we need to know how to a- answer every man. Yes, they did you wrong, but I recall the grace of Jesus Christ. When I did him wrong. And he was merciful enough to me that he saw fit to show me nothing but love despite the things he knows I did. Didn't even have to bat me in the corner. He knows what I did. And yet he still poured out his love upon me. Can I do the same for this person who all they did was betray my trust? Talk behind my back? Maybe they're just jealous. Maybe I could turn their jealousy and backstabbing into... Let me tell you how I've arrived at the place that I'm at. 
And the thing that you covet in me is only through the grace of God. But I could point you in the same direction. You can have it too. Amen? That's how we season our words with grace. Holly, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to do one more and then we'll close. Last thing is for today is a willingness to hear their side instead of having preconceived notions. When you're dealing with confrontations, whether you've been wronged or you wronged somebody else, are you going into the conversation with preconceived notions? They did this. I got them cornered. I know they talked about me. I know what they said. And I'm going to get this right. Do you have preconceived notions, though? Is there the possibility, the slightest possibility, that that person has something that occurred, something they've done? Maybe somebody lied on you and they thought they were wrong. But see, if you're going to the preconceived notion, I'm going to get them told and get them right and I'm going to teach them a lesson. How can you ever hear that they may possibly, just possibly, have a side in it? Amen? So we need to go in with the willingness not just to express the hurt, the anger, or the wounds that we receive, but we need to have the willingness to say, let me shut my mouth for five minutes and let them have the floor. <laughs> pastor Grant, the, 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 the pastor I got saved under, when people had conflict and it got too elevated and the sides were just over-talking each other, if the, the, if the situation was at his house and I used to be over there, he would get a spoon. Everybody would be like, what's a spoon for? He's like, oh, this is the turn spoon. <laughs> like, what do you mean? You don't talk unless the spoon is in front of you. All right, you got the spoon. One minute, five minutes, whatever. Your turn. Start talking. Uh-uh. Spoon's over there. You get the spoon in a minute. It's their time. See, we don't do that, though. We just sit there and we're trying to supposedly resolve a situation, mend the breach, mend the wounds, heal the emotional or whatever scars, and turn this around for Christ, but yet the other person never gets to say a word. And we just go on and on and on, 20, 30 minutes, and don't come up for a breath of air. They never get to say one thing. And the thing is, you may come out of that thing, I said it all. Whew, I got it all out. You leave. We're cool now. That person is, I can't believe how they talk to me. I can't believe they didn't care how I feel. I can't believe that, yes, I did what you said, but you also did this, this, and this, and I didn't get to say anything. So you're going out, whoo, I feel incredible. That person is agitated and feels miserable. And maybe that person was going through something and the conversation has weighed them down heavily, amen, and they feel worse than they ever did before you came in. And if you had known what that person is going through that had, didn't even revolve around you, you might have turned that situation around and said, whoa, you're going through that? You know what that thing I had against you? That don't even matter anymore. Let's talk about this situation. Wow, I, didn't, I couldn't imagine you went through that. Now I can see why you were so mean-spirited to me. Man, you're going through hell. Oh, forget me, man. My stuff ain't even important. Let's talk about you, and let's point you to God. But are we willing to hear the person's side, the other side of the story? Amen? There could be circumstances in their background, situations in their current life that cause them to manifest the behavior that caused you to be offended at them.
Amen? Hallelujah. And like I said, you may have done something to them that you didn't even realize that listening and being able to talk on both sides can not only deal with the situation you presented to them, but also alleviate everything that was causing a wedge in your relationship. So I'm going to close with this last one. Amen? Hallelujah. Proverbs 18, 19. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. It's hard to win somebody if you're doing it in and of yourself and of your flesh. But if you're going in, govern through prayer and the word of God by the Holy Spirit, you might win somebody that is extremely hard-hearted. Amen? Hard-hearted. That's why you, you, sometimes you see in prison some of the hardest people get converted to Christ. All they knew outside in the secular world was violence, drugs, abuse. But then they finally had somebody, even, you know, unfortunate as it is to be in prison, they finally came across somebody that would listen to their heart and realize the hurt that was embedded in that person. And just that person listening to them, giving them the ear to express themselves and the offenses and wounds they've suffered, opened up the door for that now that person now to be one for Jesus Christ. And think of the joy that Jesus Christ has, amen? He says he leave the 99 to gain the one. And it says in the word of God that they basically, the angels in heaven are singing at the salvation, the deliverance of one. So can't we just turn around our fences and stop looking so much at me, myself, and I, and I was wronged again, and instead say, let me take the time to pray. Still deal with the situation, but take the time to pray and turn the resolution of offenses over into a time of ministry where both of us can mutually get edified and elevated in God. Amen? Hallelujah. Don't allow our offenses to fester. Don't allow us to to get to the place where these negative emotions get bottled up inside and it's nearly impossible to gain entrance through the hardness that is in our hearts or in the hearts of other people. I shared before that um, I was in a situation, even in ministry, where somebody hurt me to my core. And I had to work through that. It took a while, a lot of prayer, a lot of studying the word. At one point, I even called in uh, a, a minister in Christ because I wanted to check myself. I was like, I think I'm cool. I said, but I want to make sure I'm right. So I called a brother in Christ that I knew I could trust and confide in, that it wasn't going to go nowhere else. And we talked it out. And he said, okay, when this person said this, what would you do? Okay, how would you feel? You know, he asked me a, ser- a series of questions, and he challenged me. And once I was done with all the, the question and answer, he said, well, it sounds like you did everything you needed to do. And I said, all right, well, I appreciate your time. Because I said, I want to be right. I want to make sure I'm right. And see, the reason is, whether somebody ever apologized to me or not, I was like, I want to be right between me and God. And that's the place God wants us all to be. Yes, it's good if somebody that, you, that offended you apologizes. But at the end of the day, I serve a great and mighty God. And I'm not going to be limited by holding on to offenses over somebody saying or doing something wrong and didn't apologize to me. And now I got something in me impure that is holding me down. Because as long as that person's attached to you through a grudge, guess what? The attachment worked both ways. <laughs> and you're both pulling each other down. 
So there's people that offended me I may never see again. But I'm not going to allow them to keep me captive and, and hold me down and have myself tied up with them. No, I'm going to keep moving in God. Amen. And see, the thing is, God set the stage um, years later where the person that had hurt me. And like I said, this is a spiritual wound. Amen. Person really hurt me emotionally and spiritually. I was at a funeral one time. This person was was at that funeral and I had run into this person multiple times, never said a word. Person didn't even know. And this one day at this funeral, and um, we're at the repast afterwards, and the Holy Spirit must have spoke to him. So this person came over to me, and he's like, oh, Brian, he said, oh, can I talk to you for a second? I was like, sure. Takes me outside. And see, here's the thing. It was really honorable. The person got, the person got his wife, which he didn't have to do. This could have been man to man. Got his wife as a witness. Took me outside, sincerely apologized to me. And the thing is, after he's done that apology, I said, I'm going to let you know I really didn't need your apology, but I truly appreciate and, and I honor you for being willing to express through my arms around him. And as I threw my arms around him, the, the, the Holy Spirit showed me he needed to apologize to me more than I needed to receive it. Amen? So sometimes people being held captive, they know they did you wrong. But if we don't conduct ourselves the right way, they're scared to come to us to try to make it right. Because, oh, well, I offended her before. And when I tried to make it right, she told me off. Some people were scared to approach you to even apologize. Amen? So whether they bring it or not, if they bring it, be approachable, loving, and presentable. Give them the same grace and mercy that God gave you. If they don't give it, pray until God releases it from you so you can still move on in life. Amen? Hallelujah. Don't allow yourself to be limited by a lack of forgiveness. Amen? Hallelujah. <laughs> it's funny. Unforgiveness is not a word. <laughs> People use it all the time. There's no such word. It's not a word. <laughs> a lack of forgiveness. You put unforgiveness in your spell checker, it will bomb it every time. There's no such word. <laughs> so that's an interesting side note. But we should not be limited by a lack of forgiveness. Amen? And that's the key thing the Lord placed on my heart for us right now. We're going to continue on next week. Remove limitations on forgiveness. Because I truly believe some of us have forgiven, but only to a certain, certain extent. And the next time they do something, we're going to go right back into the land of, I don't forgive you and I'm angry at you, or I got a grudge. Amen? And some of us may feel like they got to apologize a certain way to demonstrate that they're sincere. No, they don't. Don't force them to package their forgiveness the way you need it. I mean, that's selfishness. Let the person have the grace to do it in their own way and graciously accept it and truly feel it. Amen? Because the work that God will do in you is so much more through the grace you extend, you know, moving you forward than anything a natural person can give you anyway. God will reward you. Amen? Hallelujah. All right, let's um, all stand. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Amen? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. If anybody feels... Oh, praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I was going to pray a a corporate prayer, but if anybody feels they need a special prayer in this uh, area, uh, feel free to come forward. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's all point our hands forward first. We'll pray for Sean. I'll pray for everybody corporately. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we just thank and praise your Father for Sean right now. In the name of Jesus, Lord, hallelujah, just pour out your blessings, your peace, your healing upon him right now. Hallelujah. Only you know, Father, the things that have been done in the natural and the spirit, the things that have been spoken. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The, the um, sense of abandonment and loneliness and rejection, Father. Hallelujah. That he's been forced to suffer over the years. And I know, Father, through the, um, the calls you gave me in my life, Father, it's a life of rejection. Hallelujah. It's a hard and difficult thing to go through, Lord. But I praise and thank you, Father, the same way. Hallelujah. Uh, you've got me through the years and strengthened and empowered me, Father. And you showed me, Father, that, hallelujah, at times we have to walk alone because of the call and it's a lonely thing. It's still a fruitful thing. Hallelujah. So I praise you right now to buffer him. Hallelujah. To fill him to overflowing with your love and your peace, Lord, to let him, hallelujah, uh, feel your love, hallelujah, hallelujah, feel your love and your comfort, your blessings, and most of all, your healing. Let him see, Father, that it's not the rejection, hallelujah, that will be done and will be completed and turned out to, to evil, but it will be done for good, Lord, hallelujah. Let him see, Father, and feel that the rejection, Father, is just a means of guiding him closer and closer to yourself, hallelujah. And that it's not something that is a statement against him and his life and his call, but, he, but it's actually a reflection of the greatness that you have before him. And we just praise and thank you, Father, for this, to fill him with comfort and peace, hallelujah. Fill him Hallelujah, with insight, we praise and thank you, Father, for the revelation and the anointing that's already starting to flow. We praise and thank you, Father, for strength against the attacks that the enemy has hurled his way right now in the name of Jesus. We praise and thank you, Father, for, hallelujah, your hand to be upon him right now in the name of Jesus. We come against, hallelujah, the attacks in the body right now in the name of Jesus. We curse, hallelujah, every sickness, every disease in the name of Jesus from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. We praise and thank you, Father, and speak divine healing over every organ and every molecule, hallelujah. We speak to the, hallelujah, uh, the, the, um, Immune system right now in the name of Jesus, Lord. White cell count be elevated, Lord. Hallelujah. Circulatory system right now. Walk in obedience right now in the name of Jesus. We praise and thank you, Father, for the blood of Jesus, Father. Hallelujah. To take root. We thank you, Father, even now in terms of the warfare in the name of Jesus, Lord. Quicken his spirit, Lord. Let him hear, sense, and feel your presence in the middle of the battle. And let him not depart or flee from the assignments against him, but instead, Father, let him grab hands with you, one hand in your hand, the other hand holding, hallelujah, his sword, Father, that he would be able to war in the spirit. And we praise and thank you, Father, even the dreams, the revelation, and things you're showing him, hallelujah, it may seem crazy at the times, Father, but right now we praise you, Lord, that they're just the things that you are instructing him right now, the things he will see, the things he will sense, the things he will know in his spirit, may seem strange now, hallelujah, but the clarity of mind is soon to come. And we praise and thank you, Father, for this. We just give you the glory and honor, Father. Once again, hallelujah, the spirit of rejection right now, 
Hallelujah. I'm not going to lie and say it will go away because it comes with the call. Hallelujah. People will reject, hallelujah, the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. And the higher the level and the anointing of the Spirit, the more the rejection. So we praise you and do not ask for the rejection to go. We thank you, Father, for the grace and strength and the understanding of how to sustain it. And we thank and praise you, Father, for this. We thank you, Father, that he will not depart or turn away from the call, but he will walk full steam ahead into it. And we know and thank you, Father, that you will cause him to prosper in every aspect of his life. Hallelujah. Educationally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally, every area, Father. We speak divine prosperity, and we praise and thank you, Father, for this in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We just praise you, Father, for everybody else in this room right now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. If anybody been stricken, by wounds, rejection, hallelujah, wounds of evil words spoken, wounds of physical, emotional, and spiritual things that have transpired in their lives, either years ago, even going back to their childhood, or even now. Right now, we come against every demonic assignment of the enemy. We come against every ungodly word, hallelujah, that's allowed itself to creep into their heart and mind. And we praise and thank you, Father, that they would start to see, Father, and feel and recall and rehearse, hallelujah, even what you had me make them say before the sermon. Now I can see the wisdom of you placing that on my spirit. We thank you and praise you, Father, that we are wonderfully and fearfully made, hallelujah. We don't have to worry about getting forgiveness from those who have wronged us, Father, because we are wonderfully and fearfully made. We praise you and thank you, Father, that even if they never apologize, Father, we are wonderfully and fearfully made and that our souls know it right well. Right well, right well. And we just praise and thank you, Father, for this. We praise and thank you, Father, if any of us have ought against anybody, Lord. Show us how you want us to respond. If you call us to speak to them directly, we praise and thank you, Father, prepare our hearts to be able to speak to them calmly. We praise and thank you to give them a receptivity to hear it. We praise you, Father, if it's to be done um, outside of being person to person in a letter or email. Thank you, Father, to give them words to state. And we praise you, Father, that the person on the other end will be receptive and would also receive it and not only minister forgiveness, but also receive the grace of God. We just praise and thank you, Father, for this. And we just give you the glory, honor, and praise, Father, that you will continue the work you've begun in us, that you will give us safe traveling mercies in our coming and going. Hallelujah. And you would, hallelujah, just pour out your blessings upon each one of us. We thank and praise you, Father, for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. All right, so we'll continue on next week. Amen.